Good morning and happy Sabbath. Today we are going to talk about two events. The first event is where scoffers and unbelievers said things like, He saved others, himself he cannot save. While some said he was mighty in the Lord, we thought he was the Messiah. The next event and their group of scoffers and unbelievers said things like, I see you're still with us. And you must renounce all of these radical ideas if you want to come back to our fold. The first event had to do with the emerging early church. And the second had to do with the emerging remnant church. Have you figured out what events we will talk about today? The last clue I can give you is our sermon title. Things that were veiled, hidden in plain sight. Today we will take a closer look at two disappointments and what was veiled, hidden in plain sight for each of the groups affected. After that, we'll get to the heart of the sermon and answer the question, could there be something veiled or hidden in our day? Because if there is something veiled and we become complacent with our time, it could lead us to a disappointment as well. So before we begin, let's pray. Dear God, we come into your presence today We see the signs of the times. We know you're coming soon. Lord, we don't want to be complacent and experience the disappointment of disappointments, not being ready for your second coming. Unveil our eyes for the topic today and give us your spirit of truth, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The early church was disappointed. They had preconceived ideas taught by generations. Ideas like the the Messiah will come and he'll defeat the Romans and Israel will be restored to rule the world more glorious than that of Solomon's kingdom. Isn't this what the Jews believed? Isn't this what the disciples believed? For three and a half years, the disciples were eager to answer questions such as, what position will I have in Christ's kingdom? Maybe some coveted the spot of head treasurer. But sitting at his left hand and sitting at his right hand seemed to be the most coveted of spots. So for the last six months of Jesus' life, He tried to tell those he loved how he would die, suffer many things, and be raised the third day. For six months, all this was, as it were, veiled, hidden in plain sight. The disciples couldn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was telling them. Why was he talking about his kingdom being not of this world? And for six months, they definitely didn't want to ask him for a clear understanding. 
I believe it's because they were comfortable where they were. Why should they let go of ideas of a worldly kingdom? And why should they let go of what great positions they would be getting? Let's turn in our Bibles and look up some of these times Jesus told them plainly what would happen. Matthew 20, 18 and 19. Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Next is Mark 9.31. Mark 9.31. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Lastly, let's turn to Luke 9.22. Luke 9.22, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. It happened just like Jesus said, And it happened just like scripture foretold. They were sorely disappointed. So, how did the disciples and the rest of this early church overcome their disappointment? They overcame with Bible study. And Jesus gives the first of these studies to the two on the road to Emmaus. Let's turn to Luke 24:27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he also appeared unto his disciples. Let's turn to Luke 24, 44 and 45. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. For those who would not partake in the study of God's word, they would let circumstances overwhelm their faith. And in the end, they would not join the emerging church. Didn't most of the Jews reject Jesus as the Messiah? Didn't they put a curse on the very verses that point to him being the Messiah? 
Yes. And those verses are in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and the curse still stands to this day. The next disappointment we are going to talk about happened about 1,800 years later with the emerging remnant church. God was opening the sealed part of the book of Daniel. As the light of truth was lighting up the world, all the denominations were coming together. They were studying the meaning of Daniel 8.14. Daniel 8.14. And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. They finally came to the conclusion that this time prophecy that began in 538 A.D. would come to an end on October 22, 1844. They thought it was Jesus' second coming. The time was correct, but God covered, as it were, the true event from their understanding. It was veiled, hidden in plain sight. Like the disciples of old, they too had preconceived ideas. And as scripture foretold, this caused a bitter disappointment. As the disappointment for the disciples was comforted by Bible study, this too would be comforted and understood by Bible study as well. And as history repeats itself, Those who refused to search the scriptures would turn away. Most who had joined them in proclaiming this message left the ranks and rejoined the churches they had come from, renouncing all the light that was given to them. Let's now fast forward to 2023. Could there be things veiled, hidden in plain sight in our day as well? I would like to suggest yes, and the specific event I want to talk about today is concerning the question, when will Jesus come? Keep in mind this sermon is not a sermon on time. This sermon is about where we are in the stream of time. As we heard from our scripture reading, Matthew 25:13 Matthew 25:13 Watch therefore for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh Where are we in the stream of time If your great grandparents or grandparents were in the church and we were to ask them how old is the earth What would be their answer? I think they would say 6,000 years old, or maybe about 6,000 years old. And why is it they would give this answer? They learned it from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. But if it was that old when they were alive, then what is it now? 6,080, 6,050? Almost 6,000? The spirit of prophecy actually has 42 statements referring to the earth with the number 6,000. 
We'll be looking at a few of these today. The Spirit of Prophecy also has 41 statements referring to the number 4,000. We'll look at a few of those as well to pinpoint where we are in the stream of time. When was the earth, according to the Spirit of Prophecy, 4,000 years old? The first quote I'd like to share is from Confrontation, page 78. On Jordan's banks, the voice from heaven, attended by the manifestation from the excellent glory, Proclaim Christ to be the Son of the Eternal. Satan was to personally encounter the head of the kingdom, which he came to overthrow. If he failed, he knew that he was lost. Therefore, the power of his temptations was in accordance with the greatness of the object which he would lose or gain. For 4,000 years, ever since the declaration was made to Adam that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head, he had been planning his manner of attack. So here it's talking about Christ baptism. The next quote is from Confrontation, page 32. Christ in the wilderness of temptation stood in Adam's place to bear the test he failed to endure. Here, Christ overcame in the sinner's behalf 4,000 years after Adam turned his back upon the light of his home. By combining both statements, we can make up this question. What year was Jesus baptized and driven to be tempted in the wilderness? The answer is A.D. 27. According to the spirit of prophecy, in A.D. 27, the world was 4,000 years old. And like I mentioned before, there are 39 more statements that also pinpoint this date. By establishing this time, it unlocks the puzzle of our next quotes, referring to the number 6,000. Our first quote is from Adventist Home, page 539. The great plan of redemption in fully bringing back the world into God's favor. All that was lost by sin is restored. Not only man, but the earth is redeemed to be the eternal abode of the obedient. For 6,000 years, Satan has struggled to maintain possession of the earth. Now God's original purpose in its creation is accomplished. The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And the second quote is from here to forever, page 399. For 6,000 years, Satan's prison house has received God's people but Christ has broken his bonds to set the prisoners free. 
Alone with his evil angels, he realizes the effect of sin. The kings of the nation, even all of them, lie in glory, every one in his own house. Talking about the grave. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, but thou, because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. In the first quote, we saw Satan is given an allotted amount of time to fully develop his ideas and fully reveal the extent of his rebellion. In the second quote, it adds the events of Christ's second coming, taking the saints of heaven to heaven, and it describes where Satan is left alone to contemplate all that he has done. And remember, there are 41 other statements referring to the earth and the number 6,000. God gave us a brain, right? So making a simple calculation is not being extreme. If we take the year AD 27 and add 2,000 years to that, so that it equals the 6,000 year allotted time for Satan's rebellion, it comes to 2027. Is this something veiled, hidden in plain sight? Why were these things written? Are we to just, just brush these 83 statements aside? Adventist pioneers like James White, J.N. Andrews, and others believed and preached something just like this. They called it the Cosmic Week Theory. Perhaps they even got the idea from these 83 statements. Have you ever seen a prophecy clock based on this cosmic week theory before? If you haven't, it's a picture of what we've been talking about, a clock of history with 6,000 years of time. In this picture, each hour represents 500 years. The death of Adam was just before two o'clock. Three o'clock was the time of Noah. Four was Abraham. Five was the Exodus. Six o'clock was the time of David. Seven was Daniel. Eight was the time of Christ. Nine was the papal rule. Ten was the dark ages. And eleven was the beginning of the Reformation. Then in 1798, it was the time of the end. And finally, 1844, was the beginning of the end of time, meaning after 1844, Jesus can come any time. Maybe there are some of us that have preconceived ideas just like those from the past. Ideas like the Father is not able to set a specific time for Jesus to come, to come exactly on time.
And the reason the Father can't make a specific time, like 2027, is because in our Adventist history, there was a time when Jesus could have come already. Sometime after a revival in 1888, around the years 1890 to 1898, he could have come. Everything was falling into place, but Jesus didn't come. I think we can compare this to when the Israelites were supposed to enter Canaan. They were at the border, ready to enter, but they didn't enter in until 40 years later. The ones that finally entered in were no better than the ones that died in the wilderness. The thing that was different was that the iniquity of the nations had not only reached its full, but it was now flowing over. Are we better than our pioneers? I really doubt it. But I think everyone would agree that the cup of iniquity in the earth has become exponentially full compared to the 1890s. I've also heard it said that Jesus delays his coming because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. And they quote 2 Peter 3.9. Let's turn to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you heard this reason before? Is it really a salvation issue to why Jesus hasn't come? I don't believe this is a good answer either. I'm not saying God isn't merciful. Mercy is definitely a part of God's character, for he delights in mercy. But mercy always comes with repentance. Most who quote this verse only quote the first part, and leave out repentance. You see, the issue of salvation was won at the cross. At the cross, all of heaven and the unfallen worlds let go of any sympathy they had left concerning Satan and his rebellion. In Desire of Ages, page 761, it says, Yet Satan was not then destroyed Men as well as angels must see the contrast between the Prince of Light and the Prince of Darkness. This is why we are not still here because of a salvation issue. I do believe we are here, though, because in God's perfect plan, He wants to get rid of sin forever. And to do that, He needs a few things to happen that haven't happened yet. One thing is letting the four winds loose, giving Satan almost unrestrained power on a global scale. The Great Controversy, page 614, says, Satan will plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. But the main reason I believe Jesus hasn't come yet is this. There will be a group of people who will stand and vindicate God's character. That is why we are still here, because of us. 
He's waiting for a remnant of humans who will give up all sympathy for sin and the devil, just like heaven and the rest of the universe has already done. God will have a remnant. As we contemplate all this information, there's a question I'd like you to consider. Is God ever late in dealing with mankind? I think we've all heard the opposite, haven't we? We've heard God is right on time. We've heard heaven was emptied and Jesus was born right on time. We've heard Jesus died right on time too, during the Passover, which had to be on a specific day, one specific day out of 365 days. And not only did he finish his work of salvation on that day by dying for our sins, he rested during the Sabbath hours. He wouldn't let this most important work infringe on the holy Sabbath hours. So my proposal for you today, what I want you to ponder, if the cosmic week that we are talking about is correct, do you think God will infringe on the millennial Sabbath hours that are now so near? I suggest no. Back to our year 2023. What information do we have? We know the events to be correct. The events are probation will be ending soon and Jesus will be coming. And similar to the disciples and our pioneers in 1844, those who don't get ready for these events to soon happen could suffer an eternal disappointment. Let's now compare our day with that of the antediluvians. When probation was ending for the antediluvians, do you remember what the scoffers said? They said the laws of nature were fixed and that things would continue as they have been. Well, did they have a prophecy to watch for that would confirm the signs of the times? Similar to us and our signs of the times that we are watching for. Yes. Methuselah was the son of the prophet Enoch, and his name meant, when he dies, it shall come. My next question is this. Did the antediluvians know the day and hour that the flood would come? No. But did they know the year? Yes, they knew the year. Remember, my goal is not to tell you Jesus is coming in a certain year. Why, you may ask? It's because of scriptures like Romans 9.28. Romans 9.28. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. During the time of trouble, the Lord will cut time short for the elect's sake. Whatever times men may pinpoint, the Lord can cut it short. The prophet of the Lord also states in Christ's triumphant, page 344. Here she's speaking about the prophetic time period of 1844, and she says, 
The people will not have another message upon definite time. Also, in Manuscripts Release, Volume 10, page 268, it says, I was a firm believer of a definite time in 1844. There were many proclaiming a new time after this, but I was shown that we should not have another definite time to proclaim to the people. To me, that's pretty clear that no one is going to be setting definite times for Jesus to come. Church family, we've established that today's sermon is not about time. Today's sermon is really about getting our houses in order, getting our lives in order, and putting our resources to the work of the three angels' messages. Realizing where we are in history, where we are in the stream of time. I have one more clock to show you. It's called the Doomsday Clock. Non-Christian scientists put this clock together. They believe when the hands hit midnight, total annihilation of mankind will happen. It actually moved recently to the closest it's ever been to midnight. There are 90 seconds remaining. This clock is just a half-truth. We know the devil and his angels will tremble, but only the wicked will be destroyed at Christ's coming. We also know the devil has a short time remaining. How do we know? How does he know? Let's turn to Revelation 12.12. The second part. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth he hath but a short time. If you are my age or younger, I believe there isn't going to be enough time to work our jobs until retirement. The grand old age of 67 and then enjoy 10, 20, or 30 years after that. We are not going to be able to be like our parents or our grandparents. There's not enough time. I also believe this truth about where we are in the stream of time, that we are just waiting for God's people to wake up, see where they are in history, and make a choice to be sealed for God, to make a choice to vindicate God's character, Revelation 7.3 says, Saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. In our near future, the remnant will be sealed. Then the loud cry will go around the world. Next, the little horn and all that join him will resume persecution. And this will shake out the final tears from the wheat. As our sermon is coming to a close, we, look at, we looked at three sets of scoffers today. But there's one more set of scoffers I'd like to look at. These scoffers laughed at superstitious fears concerning a time of judgment. These scoffers said, we see no evidence of danger. Everything was just as it has been. They had great possessions, which they loved, and they couldn't believe it possible that beautiful Sodom would be destroyed.
Patriarchs and Prophets, page 160. Church family, I challenge you to look into the rest of these 4,000 and 6,000 year statements in the spirit of prophecy. If they were written for anyone in history, they were written for us. I do recommend watching What's Up Prof number eight on YouTube for those that want more information. Today, have you seen a clearer glimpse of where we are in the stream of time? Whether you answer yes or no, please remember the purpose of today's sermon was never about a time. With so many things going on in our world today, pointing to Jesus' soon return, I'm sure we could all write down a long list of things that prove he's coming back soon. With that said, there's no time for us to be scoffers, to say the Lord delays his coming. But it is time to pick up our Bibles and spirit of prophecy books and study these things out. And finally, it is also time to be ready for Jesus' second coming. And our closing hymn today is number 438.